The Placing You First podcast begins in less than 20 seconds. Visit crcgroup.com to subscribe, download our award-winning tools and intel articles that help you stay aware of emerging issues and trends, or get a snapshot of the insurance marketplace with our industry-leading ready indexes. You'll find it all on crcgroup.com under tools and intel. Over the last 50 years, Negley Associates has built a solid reputation as a leading insurance provider for the behavioral health care, addiction, and social services industry. Negley strives to meet the unique needs of behavioral health care providers by bringing together world-class insurance experts to create a broad spectrum of customized insurance coverage solutions, along with unmatched underwriting expertise, unparalleled claim services, and top quality risk management. I am so pleased today to introduce Mr. Ron Zinnett, General Counsel for the Mental Health Risk Retention Group, that's MHRRG, and Risk Management Consultant for Negley Associates, who will speak on this most important and timely topic, what agents should know about violent patients and the behavioral health care professional liability policy. This is the Placing You First podcast from CRC Group. This podcast features news and insights from a vast knowledge base of 4,300 plus associates who write over $34 billion of premium annual. Plus, we give you the latest information on what's happening at CRC. This, this, this is the Placing You First podcast. Thanks, Sue and Ron, for joining us today. Ron, to get the conversation started, is violence a problem for the behavioral health care insurance industry? Violence is actually a pervasive problem. It's really a problem for the United States generally, and you don't need to do a research study to figure that out. All you have to do is turn on the television news or read a newspaper. You know, there are 12 million adults per year who are involved in intimate partner violence, 16,000 homicides per year, and mass shootings. The United States has the greatest number of mass shootings in the entire world. And there was an increase of three mass shootings documented in the year 2000 to 40 documented in 2020. And when we get the figures for 2021 and 2022, it's likely to be higher. Gun-related injuries from 2019 to 2020 increased by 14%. That was a 43% increase from 2010. So violence is a pervasive problem, and it really is a problem for employers and insurers as well. Employers, when their employees are violent, they're subject to negligent hiring and supervision claims, and those are normally covered by insurance. Violence is a problem for property owners and insurers because there are premises liability claims that have when there's violence on their property. And boy, violence really is a problem for behavioral health care providers and their insurers. We keep careful track of the types of claims that are made against behavioral health care providers in our industry. And violence is among the top five most frequent claims year after year after year. And generally, it's the professional liability policies that respond to those types of claims. You know, I do want to tell you what the top five claims are. It's sexual misconduct is always the number one most frequent claim. But suicide, malpractice, and violent acts committed by patients are basically tied for second. Then there are medication error claims and employment practices claims. But uh, we know that because, gosh, at Negley Associates and Mental Health Risk Retention Group, we've participated in literally thousands of cases that we litigate over the years, and we've got a 50-year database of claims. And of course, we pay really careful attention to those kinds of claims that we participate in. 
Ron, can you put violence in context for how claims arise against behavioral health care providers? You know, we, as I said earlier, we really do pay careful attention to the claims that we litigate. And in this area where patients uh, are violent and there are claims made uh, against behavioral health care providers, it almost always will arise in one of two contexts, where the patient is violent against other patients or the providers themselves, or the patients are violent against persons out in the community. The claims uh, for patient violence against persons in the community are less frequent than the patient violence against other patients and providers. You know, behavioral health care providers are being asked to do a lot, and often they're being asked to do a lot with less money than they've been funded with in the past. They're asked to assess the safety of patients to go back to the community, to go back to schools, to go back to their homes. And when they have to make those kinds of decisions about whether it's safe for a patient to go back to the community or their schools or the homes, that's a complex issue at best. My bet is that there aren't really very many accurate uh, crystal balls out there so that people can look into the future. But that's what we're called upon in the behavioral health care industry to do. Not only that, but now there are about 130 identified risk factors for violence risk. That's a complex issue at the very best. And what happens is that behavioral health care providers are uh, hit with lawsuits when a patients are violent and hurt somebody. And uh, the courts have pretty consistently said, we're not going to hold behavioral health care providers liable for failing to predict a particular violent event. But we are going to hold them liable when they have a duty to warn or to protect. And the duty to warn arises when the behavioral health care provider knew, and here's a big phrase, or should have known that there was a risk and didn't do anything to protect a third party. That should have known standard is one that gets litigated a lot. And so what the courts say is that although we're not going to hold you liable for failing to predict, we are going to hold you liable for failure to follow a standard of care. This is an area where agents can really help their clients by asking questions about how they live up to the standard of care. And the standard of care generally uh, stated is, what would a reasonably prudent behavior health care provider do under the circumstances? For example, when the behavior health care provider is making those decisions about whether it's safe to return somebody to the community or to return somebody to school or to return somebody to their home, have they done a good job what a reasonably prudent behavior health care provider would do under the circumstances? Is the assessment adequate? Have they, for example, looked at their own records and have they consulted other sources and have they considered all of the risk factors that they ought to consider? And then have they good, done a good job in figuring out what are the things that they need to do to make potential victims safe? You know, one of the reasons that the behavioral health care providers is, have such a complex case is that almost nobody who's mentally ill is going to actually commit a violent act. The Secret Service, in a recent report on averting targeted school violence out of 2021, had a quote that I think is, is telling. The vast majority who display mental health symptoms do not commit acts of crime or violence. Mental health symptoms constitute potential contributing factors as part of a constellation of other factors and should not be viewed as causal explanations for attack planning. So complex decisions at the very best. Paul Applebaum, who's a professor of psychiatry at the Columbia University, and in my judgment anyway, one of the top three people in the country on figuring out if there's a risk of violence and then what to do about it, he said recently, a great deal of what is responsible for violence among people with mental illness 
may be the same factors that are responsible for violence among people without mental illness. We've got a multifaceted issue when you're trying to figure out if somebody's going to be violent and mental disorders is only one of those factors to consider. There's no single cause and there's no single solution. There are some diagnoses for those mental disorders that are most strongly associated with violence. But again, even those who have the most severe forms of these disorders are not likely to be violent. Very, very few will. Some do, and that's why there's potential for uh, liability in, in lawsuits. What are those diagnoses? Well, substance use disorders, schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders, personality disorders, and paraphilic disorders. So there really the very few disorders of the many disorders that are out there are associated with violence risk. If you listen to the media, it seems like nobody is committing any, any crimes, nobody's committing any violent acts unless they're mentally disordered, but that's just not the case. You know, one of the things that agents can ask about, and we hope you will, you ask your clients if something called a structured risk assessment instrument. What these are, and they've been developed over a number of years, is a resource that helps providers make sure that they uh, act in accordance with the standard of care, that they consider all of the risk factors that they ought to consider that are evidence-based, that they follow all the steps that they should follow in regard to making decisions about whether it's safe to return somebody home. And if your clients use one of these structured risk, risk assessment instruments, it's significantly liable, likely that they'll be less... Uh, at risk of being liable for the acts of their patients. I do want to just take a few moments to review some of the risk factors for, for violence that is one in one of these structured risk assessment instruments, because it makes a point that there's a lot to consider, number one, and number two, there's a lot to consider that is unrelated to whether a person has a mental disorder or not. So let's just go through a few of them. Other antisocial behavior, history of problems with relationships, history of problems with employment, history of problems with substance use, and then there's major mental disorder, of course, and personality disorders, and then whether or not the patient has been subjected to traumatic experiences himself or herself, whether the patient has violent attitudes, whether or not they've had difficulty dealing with the treatment or supervision response, and then whether or not they have recent problems with the insight as to whether or not they can be violent in response to certain uh, triggers or warnings. And then do they have violent thoughts or intent? And do they have some recent problems with instability? And do they have future problems accessing professional services? And do they have difficulties with their living situation? Do they, for example, live in a really high crime area? That significantly increases the risk of violence. Do they have problems accessing personal support? And do they have stressful situations and difficulty coping with matters? So there's a lot to consider that's unrelated to whether a person has mental disorders or not, which makes it even more complex for people who are behavioral health care providers. So you want to also ask as an agent, do, how do people plan for the safety when they make decisions to return a patient back to the community? How do you plan to keep uh, potential victims safe? And what you do is basically is you, you figure out what are the appropriate steps given the risk factors that have been identified. And then how often do you monitor a patient and what's the treatment provided to a patient given the effectiveness of past treatment? And then how do you address the particular victim who might be at risk? That's great information, Ron. How can agents help their clients? Well, there are a number of things agents can do. And at the very beginning, boy, it's important to stay aware of the leading loss drivers. And we talked about uh, the five most uh, frequent claims made against behavioral health care providers. 
And then also I ask uh, their clients about risk management tools. What, what risk management tools do they use? Do they uh, utilize a structured risk assessment instruments, for example? And then uh, ask about how clients safety plan for violence risk and let uh, insurance underwriters know about that. And then, uh, boy, it's important for clients to partner with risk management specialists who are knowledgeable about emerging trends in the field. Uh, at uh, MHRG and Nigley, we provide an individualized risk management program. And then, boy, this is an important one. Be aware of exclusions and notification requirements and professional liability policies that limit coverage. You don't want your clients to be subjected to a policy that doesn't provide the kind of coverage that they thought they were buying. And then last, and maybe most important, partner with insurance providers that specialize in coverage for behavioral health care, addiction, and social service providers, just the way we do at MHRG and Nickley. Again, thanks, Ron, for the presentation today. For more information, please feel free to contact me directly, or you can access all the information you need by visiting our website, at jjnegley.com. That's j-j-n-e-g-l-e-y.com. Are you ready to take your career to the next level? Join Team CRC to gain access to best-in-class tools, data, exclusive programs, and more. Send your resume to resumes at crcgroup.com and read testimonials from our recent hires on LinkedIn. Search for CRC.